Education podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, uh, the Editor-in-Chief, coming to you again from the Medical Education website. I'm here today with Cal Winston, Assistant Professor of Academic Success at Ross University in the Commonwealth of Dominica. And we're going to talk today about uh, an issue that I, I think has really become one of the next frontiers for medical education and the medical education research community, which is one of remediation and how to uh, identify and help students who are in difficulty during their health professional training. I think it's fair to say that we've learned a lot over the last few decades of, of medical educational research with respect to identifying students in need of assistance, but much less is known about how to successfully help them. And that's part of the reason that I was quite intrigued by Dr. Winston's paper and wanted to have the chance to chat with you today, Cal. Okay. The paper is called At-Risk Medical Students, Implications of the Student's Voice for the Theory and Practice of Remediation, and it's going to be published in the October issue of Medical Education. And so I'm just curious as to why this became a priority for you in your academic life and your research interests. I think it's a case of practice coming first. This is the, I've been doing a lot of work with these students in that race, doing a lot of doing, and I think that writing it down and explaining how the theory comes about was really secondary to the actual doing of the project. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Did you find, as you were trying to go about laying down some theoretical groundwork and thinking about those practical experiences, that they intertwined nicely, or is there some dissociation you see between the theory and practice in this area? One of the things that I was doing was in designing the program, I was trying to draw on educational theory beyond medical education, because I think there's a lot of educational literature out there. And so drawing through all of that, obviously you're bringing ideas into medical education and then while I was researching that I realized really that there's not much written on how to help struggling students in medical education. There's a lot on early years but there's not really much on even further education or higher education. There's a lot on the prediction as you said and not much written on what to actually do to help them and that seems to me perhaps the most important piece of it. Right. And what were the educational theories or, or literatures that you, you found uh, helpful in this regard? I'm not going to ask you to repeat everything that's in the paper, but maybe you could give us some of the highlights of the starting points for, for this journey that you've gone on. I think one of the starting points was taking um, constructivist and sociocultural theory pretty much as applied in PBL to most students and just extending that to work with students who are struggling in areas that you know they're struggling in because the same kind of problems keep cropping up. So it's just a, really an application of what I would now consider as fairly mainstream educational theory. Constructivism is pretty well accepted. Social cultural theory is pretty well accepted. And so it makes sense to apply that to working with students in groups to help them figure out their weaknesses. And did you find that the use of those theories needed to be modified in some way for these particular groups, or is it really just an extension of some of the work that you've done in other educational settings? Well, I think that it's always, there's always some modification as you get into a specific context. 
and there's a lot being written now on complexity theory, which to me seems to combine both sides of the coin. The constructivist theory is about the individual creating their own understanding. The social cultural theory seems to rest more in the group, and the complexity seems to allow for combination of both and acceptance that there's a lot of facets into creating an education experience that makes a difference. Can you give us some examples of a couple of things that you think need to be prioritized for this cohort of students? So, I mean, in this particular group of students, one of you know, the, having failed already, there's a real problem with self-esteem. And we found that when you're working in a group with them, they find they draw support from each other in a group. It creates an environment. So the whole environment matters. They're themselves, the other members of the group, the facilitator, the kind of room you're in. That, so there's an affective aspect of dealing with these students that you have to get beyond before you can start to make cognitive changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's the, it's the intertwine of the worrying about the affective and the cognitive that I think ends up being what seems to make the most difference to these students. Right, right. And it actually makes it a difficult group of students to do some empirical research with as well, not, not only in the fact that fortunately they're generally a relatively small proportion of the overall class, but they're a group that probably isn't terribly eager to get involved or be identified in, in this particular way. How did you go about raising interest and in getting buy-in for the program and the research activities you've engaged in? We're finding at Ross, there's a reasonable number. We usually find we've got 30 or 40 students repeating the first semester each semester. Okay. And the program has been, we initially started it as a voluntary thing, but after a couple of semesters it was clear it was effective enough that they have to come. So we've mandated that they have to participate in the program. Okay. Typically, one of the common comments we've had when we surveyed them at the end of the semester is they weren't that keen on coming at the beginning, but by the end they saw how much it helped and were keen to keep coming. And so once they've reached that point, it was very easy then to follow up and invite them to focus groups, and we had plenty of them that wanted to come along to discuss the ideas in more detail after the program. I suppose that's alluded to somewhat in your title. One of the phrases that really captured my attention was the implications of the student's voice for the theory and practice of remediation. Can you elaborate for our listeners about what those implications were or even why uh, you chose to focus on the the student's voice in, in this way? Well, this paper is part of a series, an ongoing work on this program. So an initial paper that was published in a medical teacher earlier in the year focused on what is the program and what are the results. And it just seems to make sense that if you're studying a group of people, an obvious next step is to find out what the students think about the program. And that seems to be a common theme in lots of educational research about finding out what the students think, because it does matter. And this will then hopefully be followed by dealing with how the teachers view it and then perhaps finding out exactly what goes on in the classroom. So this is part of a program of research into the whole thing. You're certainly describing one of the things that I think the field as a whole is trying to prioritize in terms of engaging in programmatic, uh, scholarly and research efforts, approaching 
problems or topics of interest from a variety of perspectives and different angles. Uh, given the variety of projects you've been involved in in this regard, what would you suggest to the community are the important next steps or the learning needs that remain to try to better position us as a field to assist and facilitate learning for these in-difficulty students? I think exploring it, obviously exploring from all sides, as I just said, and then trying to try and take it with different groups of students. We've been, we're gradually expanding the program to, to um, take second and third year students and see if it affects them. And obviously, it's going to be slightly different in different contexts. I'd kind of like to see us, to see someone else take up a similar idea in a different context, perhaps in a US context and possibly then say, are these ideas applicable to higher education in general? So, I mean, it seems to me that it, it gets to a point where if you know something works in one context, it's then about taking it to other contexts and seeing if you can then begin to find something that you can generalize. Right. And if I had to try to get you to identify explicitly the two or three things that you think think are most likely to be the active ingredients, so to speak, the, the pieces that you think others trying to use your work should pay most attention to and trying to adapt it to their context, what, what would those things be? I think, well, I think first thing is that if you can remediate in groups rather than individually, it gives, it enables the students to learn from each other and support each other. So I think the group piece was very important. I think the fact that it was mandatory was very important because many students probably would not take it up and never really change much unless you say, you must do this, but then once they're forced to, they kind of appreciate it. And the fact that you have to deal with the affective and the cognitive at the same time, I think those three things would probably be the key ingredients to take forwards. Okay, great. And obviously there's more detail and more information about the program and your approach to studying it uh, in the paper that we just won't be able to get to in a brief podcast. But I think I'll wrap things up there and just encourage the listeners to go uh, read your paper. I'm sure you wouldn't mind if they were to contact you if they would like further information. I'd be delighted to have to share information to um, build any kind of partnerships that anyone wants. Okay, so again, I've been speaking with Cal Winston from Ross University, and this is Kevin Eva on behalf of Medical Education. Thank you, Dr. Winston, for making the time to chat with us and, and everyone else for listening. Thank okay. you.